Road St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service for Monday, May 25, 2020. On this date, May 25, 1961, President John F. Kennedy announced before a joint session of Congress the ambitious goal of sending an American safely to the moon before the end of the decade. Now, to put this speech to Congress in context, President Kennedy had only taken office just a few months earlier, in January of that year. And the previous month, in April, saw the failed invasion of Cuba at the Bay of Pigs. Uh, it was also the month that the Soviet astronaut Yuri Gagarin became the first human in space. So there was a lot riding on this speech. And here is what President Kennedy said. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. And none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. That was President Kennedy's address to Congress on this date, May 25, 1961. On today's episode of the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast, we take you back to November 1951 with The Martin and Lewis Show with guest star Shelley Winters. We also have uh, Chapter 6 of Right Ho Jeeves, the novel by P.G. Woodhouse, which was first published in the UK in October 1934. Enjoy the show. something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield's mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. By Addison for fast relief from pain of headaches, neuritis, and neuralgia. And by Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor. And Chiclet, the candy-coated gum with the flavor that won't chew out. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our master of ceremony. Hi, folks, this is Dean Martin. Friday has rolled around and all hands are on deck for our weekly voyage across the airwaves. This show is Lucky Seven on our current series for Anderson's Chesterfields and Dentine. And it's really a pleasure to be associated with these great products. Jerry should be along any minute now, but he's been a little upset. You see, his dog had pups yesterday, nine little springers. Now, ordinarily, uh, Jerry could take that in his stride, but he doesn't quite understand it. You see, his dog's name is Arthur. Anyway, until man's second best friend gets here, I'd like to turn hillbilly and do one of my latest recordings entitled, Take the Night Train to Memphis. Take that night train to Memphis, take that night train to Memphis, and when you arrive at the station, I'll be right there to meet you, I'll be right there to greet you, so don't turn down my invitation. Hallelujah, hallelujah, I'll be shouting hallelujah all the day. Oh, we'll have a jubilee down in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'll shout hallelujah all the day.
night train to Memphis, take that night train to Memphis. And when you arrive at the station, I'll be right there to meet you. I'll be right there to greet you. So don't turn down my invitation. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'll be shouting hallelujah all the day. Thank you, folks, and right now I'd like to... I'm going to take the day coach to Memphis. Oh, 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 oh. Pardon me, boy. Is that the time? Look at you, too. even sure your mother had one child. <laughs> well, you listen here, Dean. I'm tired of you picking on me. I'm going to tell you all. Go ahead. I'm all ears. Well, you should have had them quick when they did your nose. <laughs> there you go with your insults again. You always hurt me, Jerry. You want to irritate me. You go out of your way to aggravate me. Tell the truth. Aren't I a rascal? <laughs> Tell me what you are. You're loud, coarse, vulgar, and uncouth. So that's why Frank and Ava didn't invite me to the wedding. <laughs> now, let's stop this arguing. I want to have a serious talk. Speak up. I'm all ears. <laughs> you should have had them off when you clipped your head. Now you're starting again. All right, D. Martin. From now on, I'm getting tough. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah? He ad-libbed. I don't know where I am. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. It's time to introduce our first guest. Oh, Grant, who is our first guest? Tell me. Confide in me. I hang on your every word. <laughs> well, I invite a very distinguished gentleman, one of the world's leading authorities on fine food. Oh, excuse me, Dean, but your guest hasn't arrived yet. Shall I have Dick play something till he gets here? Oh, no, I got a better idea, Jimmy. Hey, Dean, how about letting me speak for the authority on fine foods? I'm a glutton. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we are proud to present one of our foremost epicures, a gourmet who has tasted every conceivable dish at every conceivable restaurant. That is the connoisseur of fine foods, Mr. Conrad Von Crunch. Well... How are you, Mr. Von Crunch? I got heartburn. Oh, uh, that's a shame. Do you get heartburn often? Only when I eat. You must eat the wrong foods. Have you ever had an ulcer? No, but I've had an avocado. Very good with sour cream. Tell me, Mr. Von Crunch, how did you decide to become a gourmet? Well, I was always interested in two things. and beautiful women. But uh, you lean toward the food, eh? No, I lean toward the women. They pushed me into the food. <laughs> I imagine that your taste is very cosmopolitan. Most of the time, but occasionally I like the 
lady Tom Trainers. You don't understand me. I mean, you enjoy all sorts of foreign food. Oh, I've eaten every restaurant in the world. Do you have a favorite? My favorite is a little place right outside of Dublin, Ireland, Finnegan's Grill. Finnegan's Grill? Uh, what's the specialty of the house? Motherboard soup. <laughs> not an Irish dish. Then crepe suzette ain't a French dish. But crepe suzette is a French dish. Yeah, them butter blintzes. Well, at least me, I always thought they were ravioli. Do you like raviolas? No, I don't care for that Swedish food. <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Von Krantz, is it true that real epicures like uh, their steaks uh, very rare? The rarer the better. Well, how do you fix your steak? Well, usually I just hang it on a hook and walk past it with a lit cigarette. Well, for goodness sake. Oh, that's nothing. Some folks run past. What is the most unusual dish you've ever eaten? Uh, what is the most unusual dish? Oh, yeah, once I ate a crack Wedgwood dinner plate. No, I mean the Then I finished it off with two cups of saucer and a pop-up toaster. I mean, unusual food. This is usual food. <laughs> any uh, any other interesting experiences? Well, there was a time I had lunch with the Shah of Bordadash. The main course was chicken fried pomegranate. Chicken fried pomegranate? How were they prepared? They were dipped in sweet and sour breadcrumbs, boiled in kerosene, and served on a flaming pretzel. <laughs> boiled in kerosene? Well, uh, how did it taste? The pretzels were too salty. <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Von Kron, any other interesting experiences in your travels? Well, on my last European trip, I managed to have dinner at the Kremlin. Really? What was the main course? Roast up peasant. <laughs> what do you mean, peasant? I see you've never dined at the Kremlin. <laughs> uh, Mr. Von Kron, uh, our time is running short. <laughs> But before you go, I wonder if you'd like to give us one of your favorite recipes. Well, my all-time favorite is French fried orange peels. Well, tell me more. Tell me more. It's very simple. It's very simple. <laughs> what? They didn't pay a double admission here. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. All right. All right. <laughs> you take. You take. into strips a quarter of an inch wide and ten inches long. Well, how can you get a ten-inch strip from an arm? Idiot, you use a grapefruit. <laughs> sure. Now, you place the peels in a bowl and add a level forkful of sugar. A level forkful? Enough, you can add a heaping pinch of nutmeg, a grain of salt, a dash of pepper, a drop of vinegar, a touch of olive oil, a pat of butter, and three quarters of a pound of chicken fat. Well, it sounds absolutely delicious. Delicious? You speak about delicious. In all your life, you've never tasted anything more sickening than this. Oh, get out of here. Oh, no, you get out.
everybody. It's time to sound off for Chesterfield. From New Orleans to Kalamazoo, smokers are going for something new. Finding Chesterfield sets the pace with low umpires and aftertaste. Mildness plus, no aftertaste. Mildness plus, no aftertaste. No umpires and aftertaste in Chesterfield. That's right. Yes, science discovered what you can prove. You better get into the smoking group. For Chesterfield now sets the pace with no umpires and aftertaste. Chesterfield. 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 Milder, 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 milder. Chesterfield. Just join the crowd, sound off a chest if you clear and loud. Buy the one that gives you more, get a carton or two at your nearest store. Sound off a chest of sound off a chest of Buy a pack of chest of Do it! Today! Sincerely, folks, all Jerry and I want you to do is sound off a chest of and get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. Try a pack of Chesterfields and do it today. Some of our loveliest songs have been inspired by the lush romantic atmosphere of the Hawaiian Islands. I'd like to sing a new one for you. It's my latest recording. So, Mr. Stabile, Blue Smoke. Jimmy Wallington. Thank you, Dean. Ladies and gentlemen, when we ask you to try Anison for the relief of pain due to a headache, neuritis, or neuralgia, 
we're not asking you to try a new or unproved method. For there are many people listening in now who have been introduced to anison tablets by their own dentists or physicians. You who have received anison this way know the effect of incredibly fast relief these tablets bring. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. People by the thousands are using modern anison today instead of other ways. Doesn't their experience seem worth following? Try anison the next time you suffer pains from headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. You will be delighted with the result. Ask your druggist for anison today. Anison is spelled A-N-A-C-I-N. Ladies and gentlemen, we've had the great fortune of presenting some wonderful guests on our show, but tonight... Jerry and I take great pride in presenting a young lady who we feel sure is to be nominated for the Academy Award for her magnificent performance in The Place in the Sun. Ladies and gentlemen, meet the glamorous Miss Shelley Winters. Well, hi, Shelley. Hello, Dean. I'm really very happy to be here. Hey, Dean, have you seen my... Well, jumping Jupiter, who's that chick? <laughs> Jerry, cut that out. <laughs> say, uh, say hello to Shelly Winters there, Jerry. You mean Shelly Summers? No, he means Shelly Winters. Don't kid me, lady. We don't allow no winters in California. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Dean, tell me, how'd this broomstick get in here without a witch? <laughs> Listen, lady, I don't have to stand here and have you tolerate me. <laughs> Jerry, before you make a complete fool of yourself, this lady happens to be Shelly Winters, the movie star. Remember? Hey, I saw you on that picture behave yourself with Farfo Granger. <laughs> you mean Farley Granger. No, you mean Farley Granger. <laughs> Look, Jerry, I've had enough of this. I'm here as your guest. All I want from you is respect, consideration, and a little common courtesy. No money. <laughs> Shelly, I'll have to apologize for my partner. He's been like this ever since he was born. Barn? You mean he's human? Sure, I'm human. What's so different about me? When you hit me, I cry. When you pinch me, I scream. When you cut me, I bleed. When you tickle me, I laugh. Ha, ha, ha. I was right the first time. He wasn't born. He was accumulated. Oh, now, come on. Let's, let's stop all this arguing here. Good idea. All kidding on the other side, Shelley. I saw you in a place in the sun, and you were peachy. Oh, I'm glad you liked it, Jerry. Boy, I wish I could play in a picture like that. Well, why don't we try our own version now? Oh, we can't do that. A place in the sun was, was all about two girls and a boy. So we'll do it with two boys and a girl. This is a crime. <laughs> well, good idea. That's a go. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who have not seen that thrilling motion picture, A Place in the Sun, our thoughtful stars have prepared their own version of this very stirring drama. Here are Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, and Shelley Withers in... A Spot in the Shade. <laughs> this is the story of the Eternal Triangle. The story of Georgia, who loves Angelo and hates Albert. 
the story of Angelo, who loves Georgia and hates Albert. And the story of Albert, the most popular boy in town. As our scene opens, we find Georgia and Angelo down by the lake. They are confused, mixed up, or plunging. Angelo, what are we going to do about Albert? There's only one thing to do. Tell him the truth about it. I can't do it. How can I face him? I've often wondered. <laughs> I can't stand this sneaking and hiding. I, I just hate to deceive him this way. There's no other way. We must do the honorable thing. Yeah, we'll drown him. <laughs> He's coming. Hi, Georgia. Look what I bought. Hey, what are you doing with my finance? You're jealous. Me? Jealous? Uh-huh. <laughs> see, as I come to a secluded nook and find my girl in the lap of a strange man, you think I'm jealous? Uh, 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 uh. Oh, I'm not well at all. <laughs> Don't feel that way, Albert. You know I love you. <laughs> you shouldn't strain yourself, Blaine. <laughs> you really love me? Then kiss me, you fool, you. <laughs> hey, what about me? Oh, no, I don't even know you. <laughs> Albert, I want you and Angelo to be great friends. Sure, Albert. We'll be real buddies. By the way, can you swim? Can I swim? <laughs> Why, you're talking to a man who used to be the lifeguard of the bird bath. <laughs> but I'm too good-natured to refuse. <laughs> Angelo, you row, and Albert can sit here next to me. There, now, is everybody comfortable? Oh, gee. What's the matter with you? I'm getting seasick. <laughs> oh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> Get him overboard. Okay. Albert, why don't you sit on the edge and let your feet dangle in the water? Goody, goody. I'll take off my shoes and socks. Don't you peek. Oh, well, look, he has 13 toes. Oh, so what? I'm not superstitious. <laughs> Come on, Angelo. He's all set. Rock the boat. Okay. Here goes. Oh, please. Don't rock the boat. We got him now. Oh, no. The whole stomach is tiny. Don't rock the boat. The boat's filling up. We're sinking. Oh, what do we do? What 
Oh, we do? We got a man of mizzen mask. Hoist the mainsail. Clear the poop deck. And row, row, row. Row and keep alert. There's no time to flirt. Don't mind if I drown, but I don't want to drink my shirt. <laughs> I think we're sinking. It's too late. Oh, 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 oh. If, if we, we sink, we're sunk. sunk. Like a donut, I'll dunk. We, we better row. We've all safely landed on the shore again. Let's all give our attention to Jimmy Wallington. Thanks, Dean. And now here's something of interest to everybody. Chicklets. Chicklets. Taste the difference when you chew. Flavor on the outside, inside, too. Chicklets. Chicklets. Time the difference by the clock. Flavor lingers. Tick, tick, tock. Chicklets. Chicklets. Count the difference. Count them, cousin. Every box, an even dozen. Chicklets. Chicklets. Get the big nickel's worth. You can taste the difference, time the difference, count the difference. And whether you chew gum to keep your mouth fresh and clean, or just for the plain fun of chewing it, you'll be better off on every count with chiclet. They're flavored on the outside, flavored on the inside. With chiclet, you don't chew the flavor out, you chew the flavor in. That's why the goodness lingers on and on. They're candy-coated. Flavor-coated. Mmm, pleasure-coated. And more fun for your money. So get the big nickel's worth. Chicklet! Well, it was a rainy afternoon in New York some years ago, and... I stopped into one of those Times Square cigar stores to make a phone call. The wall in the phone booth was one of those plate glass affairs, and I stood there just one warm inch from the crowded sidewalk and the pattering rain. My number was busy, and as I waited, searching faces in the throng, my heart suddenly turned somersaults. I had never seen anything as pert and cute as the little chick who paused near me to fix her broken umbrella. She must have sensed I was staring because I caught her eye. We smiled through the glass wall. She saw my lips moving, and I guess she thought I was talking on the telephone. It was just a fleeting minute, and we never met again. So she never learned that I was really singing, singing to her. If I could be with you, I'd love you strong. If I could be with you, I'd love you long. I want you to know that I wouldn't go until I told you, honey, why I love you so. If I could be with you one hour tonight, if I were free to do the things I might, I'm telling you. If I could be with you. Well, 
if I were free to do the things I might, I'm telling you the truth. I'd be anything but blue if I could be. Just heard transcribed the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis show with their special guest, Miss Shelley Winters, who can currently be seen in the Universal International production, The Raging Tide, co-starring with Richard County and Stephen McNally. Our radio show tonight was written by Ed Simmons and Norman Lear, produced and directed by Dick Mack, with music under the direction of Dick Stabile, brought to you by Chesterfield. Sound off with Chesterfield. Get something new, something no other cigarette has. Chesterfield mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. By Anison for fast relief from pain and headaches, neuritis, and neuralgia. And by Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor. And Chiclet, the candy-coated gum with a flavor that won't chew out. Here, Duffy's Tavern with Archie on NBC. Right Ho Jeeves by P.G. Woodhouse Chapter 6 Gussie, on arrival, proved to be still showing traces of his grim experience. The face was pale, the eyes gooseberry-like, the ears drooping, and the whole aspect of a man who has passed through the furnace and been caught in the machinery. I hitched myself up a bit higher on the pillows and gazed at him narrowly. It was a moment I could see when first aid was required, and I prepared to get down to cases. "'Well, Gussie?' "'Hello, Bertie.' "'What ho?' "'What ho?' These civilities concluded, I felt that the moment had come to touch delicately on the past. "'I hear you've been through it a bit.' "'Yes.' "'Thanks to Jeeves.' "'It wasn't Jeeves's fault. Entirely Jeeves's fault.' I don't see that. I forgot my money and latchkey. And now you'd better forget Jeeves. For you will be interested to hear, Gussie, I said, deeming it best to put him in touch with a position of affairs right away, that he is no longer handling your little problem. This seemed to slip it across him properly. The jaws fell, the ears drooped more limply. He had been looking like a dead fish. Now he looked like a deader fish, 
one of last year's, cast up on some lonely beach and left there at the mercy of the wind and tides. What? Yes. You don't mean that Jeeves isn't going to? No. But, dash it, I was kind but firm. You will be much better off without him. Surely your terrible experiences of that awful night have told you that Jeeves needs a rest. The keenest of thinkers strikes a bad patch occasionally. That is what has happened to Jeeves. I have seen it coming on for some time. He has lost his form. He wants his plugs decarbonized. No doubt this is a shock to you. I suppose you came here this morning to seek his advice. Of course I did. On what point? Madeline Bassett has gone to stay with these people in the country, and I want to know what he thinks I ought to do. Well, as I say, Jeeves is off the case. But, Bertie, dash it, Jeeves, I said with a certain asperity, is no longer on the case. I am now in sole charge. But what on earth can you do? I curbed my resentment. We Woosters are fair-minded. We can make allowances for men who have been parading London all night in scarlet tights. That, I said quietly, we shall see. Sit down and let us confer. I am bound to say the thing seems quite simple to me. You say this girl has gone to visit friends in the country? It would appear obvious that you must go there too, and flock around her like a poultice. Elementary. But I can't plant myself on a lot of perfect strangers. Don't you know these people? Of course I don't. I don't know anybody. I pursed the lips. This did seem to complicate matters somewhat. All that I know is that their name is Travers, and it's a place called Brinkley Court down in Worcestershire. I unpursed my lips. Gussie, I said, smiling paternally, it was a lucky day for you when Bertram Wooster interested himself in your affairs. As I foresaw from the start, I can fix everything. This afternoon, you shall go to Brinkley Court, an honored guest. He quivered like a moose. I suppose it must always be a rather thrilling experience for the novice to watch me taking hold. But, Bertie, you don't mean you know these Traverses. They are my Aunt Dahlia. My gosh! You see now, I pointed out, how lucky you were to get me behind you. You go to Jeeves, and what does he do? He dresses you up in scarlet tights and one of the foulest false beards of my experience, and sends you off to fancy dress balls. Result? Agony of spirit and no progress. I then take over and put you on the right lines. Could Jeeves have got you into Brinkley Court? Not a chance. Aunt Dahlia isn't his aunt. I merely mention these things. By Jove, Bertie, I don't know how to thank you. My dear chap, but I say... Now what? What do I do when I get there? If you knew Brinkley Court, you would not ask that question. In those romantic surroundings, you can't miss. Great lovers throughout the ages have fixed up the preliminary formalities at Brinkley. The place is simply ill with atmosphere. You will stroll with a girl in the shady walks. You will sit with her on the shady lawns. You will row on the lake with her. And gradually you will find yourself working up to a point where... By Jove, I believe you're right. Of course I'm right. I've gotten engaged three times at Brinkley. 
No business resulted, but the fact remains, and I went there without the foggiest idea of indulging in the tender pash. I hadn't the slightest intention of proposing to anybody, yet no sooner had I entered those romantic grounds than I found myself reaching for the nearest girl in sight and slapping my soul down in front of her. It's something in the air. I see exactly what you mean. That's just what I want to be able to do. Work up to it. And in London, curse the place, everything's in such a rush that you don't get a chance. Quite. You see a girl alone for about five minutes a day. And if you want to ask her to be your wife, you've got to charge into it as if you are trying to grab the gold ring on a merry-go-round. That's right. London rattles one. I should be a different man altogether in the country. What a bit of luck this Travers woman turning out to be your aunt. I don't know what you mean by turning out to be my aunt. She has been my aunt all along. I mean how extraordinary that it should be your aunt that Madeline's going to stay with. Not at all. She and my cousin Angela are close friends. At Cannes, she was with us all the time. Oh, you met Madeline at Cannes, did you? By Jove, Bertie, said the poor lizard devoutly. I wish I could have seen her at Cannes. How wonderful she must have looked in beach pajamas. Oh, Bertie. Quite, I said a little distantly. Even when restored by one of Jeeves's depth bombs, one doesn't want this sort of thing after a hard night. I touched the bell and, when Jeeves appeared, requested him to bring me telegraph form and pencil. I then wrote a well-worded communication to Aunt Dahlia, informing her that I was sending my friend, Augustus Finknoddle, down to Brinkley today to enjoy her hospitality and handed it to Gussie. Push that in at the first post office you pass, I said. She will find it waiting on her return. Gussie popped along, flapping the telegram and looking like a close-up of Joan Crawford, and I turned to Jeeves and gave him a précis of my operations. Simple, you observe, Jeeves. Nothing elaborate. No, sir. Nothing far-fetched, nothing strained or bizarre, just nature's remedy. Yes, sir. This is the attack as it should have been delivered. What do you call it when two people of opposite sexes are bunged together in close association in a secluded spot, meeting each other every day and seeing a lot of each other? Is propiniquity the word you wish, sir? It is. I stake everything on propiniquity, Jeeves. Propiniquity, in my opinion, is what will do the trick. At the moment, as you are aware, Gussie is a mere jelly when in the presence. But ask yourself how he will feel in a week or so, after he and she have been helping themselves to sausages out of the same dish day after day at the breakfast sideboard, cutting the same ham, ladling out communal kidneys and bacon. Why, I broke off abruptly. I had had one of my ideas. Golly, Jeeves, sir, here's an instance of how you have to think of everything. You heard me mention sausages, kidneys, and bacon, and ham? Yes, sir. Well, there must be nothing of that. Fatal. The wrong note entirely. Give me that telegraph form and pencil. I must warn Gussie without delay. What he's got to do is create in this girl's mind the impression that he's pining away for love of her. This cannot be done by wolfing sausages. No, sir. Very well, then. And taking the form and P, I drafted the following. Finknoddle, Brinkley Court, Market Snodsbury, Worcestershire. Lay off the sausages. Avoid the ham. Bertie.
Send that off, Jeeves, in Stanter. Very good, sir. I sank back on the pillows. Well, Jeeves, I said, you see how I am taking hold? You notice the grip I am getting on the case? No doubt you realize now that it would pay you to study my methods. No doubt, sir. And even now you aren't on to the full depths of the extraordinary sagacity I've shown. Do you know what brought Aunt Dahlia up here this morning? She came to tell me I'd got to distribute the prizes at some beastly seminary she's a governor of down at Market Snodsbury. Indeed, sir, I fear you will scarcely find that a congenial task. Ah, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to shove it off on to Gussie. Sir? I propose, Jeeves, to wire to Aunt Dahlia saying that I can't get down, and suggesting that she unleashes him on these young borstal inmates of hers in my stead. But if Mr. Feeknoddle should decline, sir. Decline? Can you see him declining? Just conjure up the picture in your mind, Jeeves. Scene, the drawing-room at Brinkley. Gussie wedged into a corner, with Aunt Dahlia standing over him making hunting noises. I put it to you, Jeeves. Can you see him declining? Not readily, sir, I agree. Mrs. Travers is a forceful personality. He won't have a hope of declining. His only way out will be to slide off. And he can't slide off, because he wants to be with Miss Bassett. No, Gussie will have to toe the line, and I shall be saved from a job at which I confess the soul shuddered. Getting up on a platform and delivering a short, manly speech to a lot of foul school kids? Golly, Jeeves, I've been through that sort of thing once, what? You remember that time at the girls' school? Very vividly, sir. What an ass I made of myself. Certainly I've seen you to better advantage, sir. I think you might bring me just one more of those dynamite specials of yours, Jeeves. This narrow squeak has made me come all over faint. I suppose it must have taken Aunt Dahlia three hours or so to get back to Brinkley, because it wasn't until well after lunch that her telegram arrived. It read like a telegram that had been dispatched in a white-hot surge of emotion some two minutes after she had read mine, as follows. Am taking legal advice to ascertain whether strangling an idiot nephew counts as murder. If it doesn't, look out for yourself. Consider your conduct frozen limit. What do you mean by planting your loathsome friends on me like this? Do you think Brinkley Court is a leper colony, or what is it? Who is this spinkbottle? Love, Travers. I had expected some such initial reaction. I replied in temperate vein. Not bottle, nottle. Regards, Bertie. Almost immediately after she had dispatched the above heart cry, Gussie must have arrived, for it wasn't twenty minutes later when I received the following. Cipher telegram signed by you has reached me here. Runs, lay off the sausages, avoid the ham. Wire key immediately. Think noddle. I replied, also kidneys. Cheerio, Bertie. I had staked all on Gussie making a favorable impression on his hostess, basing my confidence on the fact that he was one of those timid, obsequious, teacup-passing, thin-bread-and-butter-offering yes-men whom women of my Aunt Dahlia's type nearly always like at first sight. That I had not overrated my acumen was proved by her next in order, which, I was pleased to note, 
assayed a markedly larger percentage of the milk of human kindness. As follows. Well, this friend of yours has got here, and I must say that for a friend of yours he seems less subhuman than I had expected, a bit of a pop-eyed bleater, but on the whole clean and civil, and certainly most informative about newts. I am considering arranging series of lectures for him in neighborhood. All the same, I like your nerve using my house as your summer hotel resort, and shall have much to say to you on subject when you come down. Expect you thirtieth. Bring spats. Love, Travers. To this I reposted. On consulting engagement book, find impossible come Brinkley Court. Deeply regret. To Lou Bertie. Hers in reply stuck a sinister note. Oh, so it's like that, is it? You and your engagement book, indeed. Deeply regret my foot. Let me tell you, my lad, that you will regret it a jolly sight more deeply if you don't come down. If you imagine for one moment that you are going to get out of distributing those prizes, you are very much mistaken. Deeply regret Brinkley Court, hundred miles from London, as unable to hit you with a brick. Love, Travers. I then put my fortune to the test, to win or lose it all. It was not a moment for petty economies. I let myself go regardless of expense. No, but dash it, listen. Honestly, you don't want me. Get Finknoddle distribute prizes. A born distributor, who will do you credit. Confidently anticipate Augustus Finknoddle as Master of Revels on 31st inst. Would make genuine sensation. Do not miss this great chance, which may never occur again. Tinkerty tonk Bertie. There was an hour of breathless suspense, and then the joyful tidings arrived. Well, all right. Something in what you say, I suppose. Consider you treacherous worm and contemptible spineless cowardly custard, but have booked Spinkbottle. Stay where you are, then, and I hope you get run over by an omnibus. Love, Travers. The relief, as you may well imagine, was stupendous. A great weight seemed to have rolled off my mind. It was as if somebody had been pouring Jeeves's pick-me-ups into me through a funnel. I sang as I dressed for dinner that night. At the drones I was so gay and cheery that there were several complaints. And when I got home and turned into the old bed, I fell asleep like a little child within five minutes of inserting the person between the sheets. It seemed to me that the whole distressing affair might now be considered definitely closed. Conceive my astonishment, therefore, when waking on the morrow and sitting up to dig into the morning teacup, I beheld on the tray another telegram. My heart sank. Could Aunt Dahlia have slept on it and changed her mind? Could Gussie, unable to face the ordeal confronting him, have legged it during the night down a water pipe? With these speculations racing through the bean, I tore open the envelope, and, as I noted contents, I uttered a startled yip. "'Sir?' said Jeeves, pausing at the door. I read the thing again. Yes, I had got the gist all right. No, I had not been deceived in the substance. "'Jeeves,' I said, "'do you know what?' "'No, sir.' "'You know my cousin Angela?' "'Yes, sir.' "'You know young Tuppy Glossop?' Yes, sir. They've broken off their engagement. I am sorry to hear that, sir. 
I have here a communication from Aunt Dahlia specifically stating this. I wonder what the row was about. I could not say, sir. Of course you couldn't. Don't be an ass, Jeeves. No, sir. I brooded. I was deeply moved. Well, this means that we shall have to go down to Brinkley today. Aunt Dahlia is obviously all of a twitter, and my place is by her side. You had better pack this morning and catch that 1245 train with the luggage. I have a lunch engagement, so we'll follow in the car. Very good, sir. I brooded some more. I must say, this has come as a great shock to me, Jeeves. No doubt, sir. A very great shock. Angela and Tuppy, tut, tut. Why, they seemed like the paper on the wall. Life is full of sadness, Jeeves. Yes, sir. Still, there it is, undoubtedly, sir. Right-ho, then switch on the bath. Very good, sir. End of chapter six. Well, that is today's episode of the Cote St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service. If you're listening at 2 p.m. on our phone line, we have another special item for you. Have a great day.